Hello and welcome everybody to the Habs World Podcast. I'm your host, Norm Sarek. First up for my co-hosts I'm going to introduce is Paul McLeod. Paul, how are you this evening? Uh, very well, Norm. Uh, things are looking up and uh, I'm, as always, happy to be here with you and John. For sure, for sure. Glad to hear you're, that you're uh, you're happy considering the, uh, the state of affairs at the Habs land. But uh, so before we go diving into that, Jonathan Ravello, you're up next. Uh, yeah, I'm, uh, I'm doing great. Um, Montreal in a bit of a bur- emergency, as my friend Scott DeVoe would say. So uh, it's, uh, it's uh, a wild time, and I'm sure this will be a wild podcast. What number podcast is it again, Norm? Uh, number 86. The Jonathan Furland edition, where and if you wouldn't have looked that up, I would have had no idea that anyone ever wore that number for the Canadians. So thanks for looking that up, Norm. Yeah, John, was- how, could you, how could you forget Jonathan Furland? Seven games played, one goal, and an average of a stellar, and I'm sure, scintillating six minutes and 30 seconds a game. Jeez, wow, what a, what a legend. I guess I should remember him as, as he shares my namesake, so. Yeah, here is that. Okay, guys, well, let's, let's get started. We definitely have big news to discuss, that being uh, what Jeff Molson announced over this past weekend. Uh, and Oh, sorry, I should mention we're recording this evening of November 30th, 2021. So the big news came out uh, on Sunday of Mark Bergevin being fired and or relieved of duties however you want to name it it's pretty much the same thing along with uh trevor timmons and uh help me out who was the other fellow paul wilson paul wilson yes thank you and, and prior to that the resigning of scott melanby yes yes so good move bad move who wants to go first you got to go first on this one norm okay i'll start us off Hallelujah, he's gone. Uh, let's see. <laughs> We've been talking about his fire for how many seasons now? Oh my God! Uh, it's only been five or six or seven. Yeah, and you know I can't help but think that if it wasn't for the fact that he contracted COVID, he would have been fired at least ten days ago. I'm sure Molson was ready to pull the tr- trigger then, but then had to wait it out. And well, of course, it- thoughts and prayers to to Bergevin and everyone with COVID. Uh, hopefully they make a full and strong recovery. So thoughts and prayers to Mr. Bergeron. Yes. Well, I think he's on a flight for to a beach from what I heard on TSN today. So I think he's doing okay. Plus you are <laughs> okay, right. Great. Uh, Molson, Mr. Molson actually said that he waited uh, for Bergeron to recover. And that's part of the reason why uh, he said the communication between them wasn't as good as it could have been because he was holding off until Bergeron recovered uh, to give him the bad news. <clears throat> okay. Okay, I didn't catch that part. I did. I was listening to the presser, but I might have missed some of that. Okay, so yeah, I'm super ecstatic. Uh, this this type of move move was long overdue, and now there's a little bit of hope on the horizon, despite the miserable state of the team in the standings. So I'll. Uh, I, I just wanted to focus on the Bergman part first. I'll. I will say though. I mean, and we can talk about this. He he. It's not like the guy was. A, a total total bumbling idiot about things you know he did make some good trades he did make some no not, not just good trades no i got to cut you off there i said this before okay. they should have kept him on as strictly the montreal canadians trade general manager this guy dominated trades almost mm-hmm. every trade he made turned into gold montreal won almost every trade this guy made but you can't develop players couldn't get a good system going in the ahl couldn't retain good ahl coaching couldn't uh couldn't draft well with timmons all that stuff for those are all things that are important as a general manager, but trading this guy was maybe the best in the league the entire time he was there. 
Yeah, I would agree. He was he was excellent on trades, but some of the times when he made some outstanding trades, i.e. the Max Pacioretty trade and the Alex Galchenyuk trade, he was pulling a rabbit out of a hat to solve a situation that he created. Mm. Um, so he managed to trade himself out of trouble a few times and did so amazingly well. Like I never thought, given the fact that everybody in the entire hockey world knew he had to get rid of Pacioretty, that he would get that kind of haul for him. Um, <clears throat> I never thought that he'd turn, you know, by completely destroying Galchenyuk's um, value by saying he's not a center and he'll never be a center and blah, 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 and all kinds of things that the general manager can think but shouldn't say in public. Um, but he still turned him into Domi, who was good for a little bit, and then turned him into Anderson, who I still think it was a, a good acquisition. Oh, definitely true. Totally agree. There were, I mean, and you could go back to the uh, Philip Deneau and second round draft pick, which turned out to be Romanoff trade for Dale Weiss and Thomas Fleischman. I mean, that was a steal. No, that was Norlander. Oh, Norlanders. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, regardless, that's yeah, still quite still a, a heck of a deal. Yeah, yeah. So it, it's not. So I, I am just trying to convey. It's not that he did all bad, but it, it's just that in the areas where he, he failed to improve upon, he just made he, he continued to make bad decisions. And, and I mean, and and even going back to the the Logan Mayo. Uh, draft day decision to, to pull the trigger and select him. It just was not the right move. And I can't help but think that the communications guy took also took the ax because of that move. Uh, just, I, I, sorry to interrupt, but I think I, when I, when I first read that Paul Wilson got fired, I was a little bit surprised. And then I started thinking about how much lately people have been talking about how clumsy the Canadians have been with their public relations and how at a, uncharacteristically, uh, out of step with reality they seem to be and how reactive they are instead of being proactive and setting the message. And I still think had they actually prepared uh, a proper PR campaign that the Mayu fiasco wouldn't have been as big a fiasco. I mean, I said then and I'll say now, I was really hoping they'd trade up and get uh, Zachary, Zachary LaRue, but they didn't. Um, so, um, if they were going to take a, uh, a pick like Mayu, they had to know there was a PR firestorm, uh, coming and they had to be in front of it instead of, you know, Bergevin standing up and they're saying how proud he was to, to select, uh, Mayu, which was the wrong tone to take. You know what I mean? Yeah. Just poor all the way around. So maybe that's why Wilson fell on his sword as well. Yeah, and I, I agree. The, the fact that it took a couple of days to come up with that, you know, plan of recovery and being, uh, you know, trying to, you know, change the hockey community and hockey culture. If they would have had that message ready, at, like the moment they made the draft, it would have seemed like there was more of a plan and a better communication amongst the amongst the group. Right, exactly. That should have been the message as soon as Bergevin spoke to reporters after the pick was made. We have this plan in place. This is what we're going to do. We're going to give this young man a second chance, but he's going to have to do A, B, C, D, E, F, and G first to earn the, the opportunity to be considered for our team. So let, let's stuff. spin the wheel on the other side. On the other side here, who's excited about Jeff Gordon? Your puppies. <laughs> yep, sounds like they are for sure. 
I am. Okay. Go for I'm it. I'm hoping he can channel his uh, interim GM of the Bruins uh, for us because when he was he was interim GM of the Bruins for about 14 months, I think, so give or take, and he drafted uh, Milan Lucic, he drafted Brad Marchant, and he drafted a couple other key players for their uh, for their team. Not to mention trading for Tuka Rask and signing uh, Zdeno Chara. So uh, if he can have a nice little run like that to start off his his uh, time at the head of the Canadians, I think we'll all be extraordinarily happy. Yes, yeah, I agree. He definitely has a great uh, track record, excellent resume. Uh, he did some good things to get the the Rangers uh, turned around as well, and and they're in much much better shape now than they were a few few years ago when they sent out that letter to their uh, their uh, season ticket holders saying that basically we're in a rebuild mode now, and we hope you'll accept it, and uh, we're this is how we're planning to to get back to uh, being respectable again. And, uh, exactly, proactively managing the message. Hmm. Mm-hmm. Yep. Does my question for you guys, and uh, and I guess we'll see on Friday. Does Jeff Gordon speak French? I don't think so. I don't believe so yeah. either. Yeah, I was. I wonder thinking. how that. I wonder how that's going to go on Friday with his first meeting with the media. I would imagine that he'll be torn to shreds in several of the Montreal papers for daring to come into this province and think he knows anything about hockey if he can't communicate with the fans. Well, I think that's why they have the structure they set up, where he's the VP of Hockey Operations, which is something that was long overdue, a buffer between uh, Molson and, and Bergevin, or the new GM. We, we talked about that also for many years um, yep. on this podcast. And I think the fact that the GM, the new GM is going to, the criteria is they're going to be French speaking, if not Francophone, like Quebec Francophone, he said... Molson said they have to be a French speaker and I think that opens the the chance for a young up-and-coming GM candidate maybe one that wouldn't have been considered for the full-time job to learn from Gorton and then they have a then they have a a built-in succession plan so after a number of years Gorton gets gets booted or retires or moves on the GM that learned from him goes to become the VP of hockey ops and the hires a new person to replace themselves and so on you know continuity planning stability all the things that the canadians in the glory years used to epitomize and have long since forgotten how to do so hopefully that's a, that sounds like some wonderful that. that sounds like some wonderful succession planning succession also by the way incredible show check it out yeah. Oh, okay. Well, that's what I'm hoping. That's, that's my vision for what, what I'm thinking. I think, uh, you know, Molson deserves a lot of credit for, for finally coming up with an innovative solution for not hiring another rookie GM because, you know, they're decently qualified and they speak French. Allah, uh, who's that guy? Uh, Mark. Uh, yeah. Bergevin. Yeah. When he got hired from, from Chicago with some AGM, assistant general manager experience but nothing in the in the top chair now did you guys hear anything about the the rumor the conversation that apparently scott mellenby had been promised the gm job after bergevin was either gone fired or quit have you guys heard anything to that rumor at all i've heard that rumor i've heard 
that was the explanation for his resignation. And that's the did one. Mellon lost... be, did Mellon be learn French at all while he was in Quebec? Was he learning French? He wasn't in Quebec. He was almost never in Quebec. Okay, but was he was he learning French in, in anticipation for that being a potential, you know, um, growth growth spot for him? I don't think so. Okay, and I think that may be part of what happened. I, and I think I think he was being considered for, for the VP of Hockey Ops, but I think I think what happened, and rightly so, is that, uh, uh, and I'm just conjecturing here, but I think Molson. Jeff Molson looked at the team's track track records and looked at how close Mellonby was aligned with Bergevin and thought, hmm, could be signing myself up for another five years of the same kind of uh, waffling back and forth and refusal to sign, you know, decent puck moving defensemen. So I think I'll cut the cord and clean the ship, the slate. And I'm glad he did. Although I am sorry to see Mellonby go because I found he, he's a really good hockey man. Yeah, I have. I did a little research. I could not find anything to back up that uh, Scott Mellonby had been bilingual or taking any classes to to learn French either. Uh, although he did spend some time in the Montreal area uh, when he was growing up, because his father is uh, shoot, I can't remember his father's first name. He was one of the heads of um, Ralph United Canada. Ralph Mellonby. Thank you. So. There, yeah, but and I also heard that rumor that you discussed, and I'd heard something along the lines of that uh, perhaps he'd been promised something to move into a senior hockey ops position uh, as a support position, not the GM's position. So, I, and if that was the case, then I get it. You know, I don't blame the guy. He he knew the handwriting was on the wall. If he if he didn't resign, he was going to end, end up being let go anyway. You know, it's it's fine. I don't really. I don't have any blame at all for that kind of a move. So uh, next question, I guess we should talk about is the potential GM candidates. And I know there's, there's, uh, there's a few. So uh, Paul, you pick one and, uh, and say your thoughts on one of them. Okay. If you don't mind, I'd like to pick two because uh, the Vancouver province of all places published a rather extensive list of potential GM candidates for uh, Montreal based on uh, the fact that they're francophone and ba also based on the fact that uh, the new structure in Montreal seems to be predicated on allowing uh, some innovation and some, some out of the box candidates to be considered. And so the two candidates on the list that struck me as most intriguing are one, uh, Daniel Goyet, who's right now working for Toronto as director of their uh, prospects. Um, so I'd, I'd like the, the Canadians to, to uh, potentially stab her as a, a GM because one, it would show the franchise's innovation. It would get a, a new bright young mind and, um, you know, best of all or not best of all, but as an added bonus, a significant added bonus, it would weaken and disrupt, um, you know, uh, Toronto's player development system so I, would, I think she should get very strong consideration and secondly is a guy named Patrick uh, Lengweiler who is the head of uh, not uh, the last name I was expecting there <laughs> well I'm definitely not saying the one that starts with R and ends in OY because 
that would just to me undo all the good that we've just done with getting Gordon. But anyway, that's another, <laughs> that's another discussion. So no, Patrick Lingweller is, is head of AC Zug in Switzerland. And he's a young uh, up and coming hockey executive who's been focused on maximizing um, the, the sporting performance of his athletes. And I think his kind of mindset would really work well with the new uh, focus on mental and physical health that that the Canadians are going to emphasize uh, under the new regime and about time with that too. Well, I like you brought up two candidates that I really had not even thought of or really even heard of. Um, so uh, very interesting on both. And I do like the outside the box idea. And I think going with somebody incredibly inexperienced like either of those two underneath Gordon could be very advisable because I would like to see somebody in kind of a puppet role for the first uh for the first little while while Gordon worked his magic. So yeah, uh, yeah very interesting suggestions. Norm, how about you pick two as well? And but, but just, just to clarify, offer... not, oh, sorry, yes. not terribly inexperienced, but inexperienced in the, in the national hockey league. Langweiler. Oh been, yeah. Yeah. That's exactly what I mean. Yeah. Inexperienced as a general manager in the NHL. Yeah. Yes. Langweiler has been a director of, uh, of Zug since 2006 and okay, wow, 15 uh, da- years. Nice. Daniel Goye was, let me see, just let me pull her up for a second. Uh, there she is. Uh, 14 years as the head coach of the University of Calgary hockey team, um, director of player development of the Toronto Marlies, gold medal winner for Canada, and inducted into the Hockey Hall of Fame in 2017. Nice. Uh, so she's got the ring. Beautiful. As director of the player development, Danielle's in charge of the Leafs' future. So I'd, I'd rather have her in charge of the Canadians' future and damage uh, the Leafs at the same time. Hmm. Fair. Norm, you name a couple and your thoughts on them. Okay. I assume that means that you want to have the last word with your, with your candidate. So, okay, that's fine. <laughs> I'll, uh, I'll, I'll go first, or I'll go next. So I, I've, I've been a proponent of uh, Matthew Darsh. I've mentioned this before on this podcast. I still think that he's a, a very good and interesting candidate. He's got a strong business background. He's got a back, obviously he's got a background in at pro hockey and he's been, and he's been part of a successful organization in Tampa since 2019. Uh, he's, he certainly knows what it's like to, to, live in Montreal as a person and a player. There's, there's a lot of things that uh, he's probably picked up from Julian Breezebois as the, as the GM working side by side as assistant GM. So I think he's got a, lot, a pretty solid candidate or resume, at least as strong as Mark Bergevin's was before he got hired in Montreal. So I guess I'm going to be more of a traditionalist. So my, my options are, are pretty boring. Uh, I'm going to kind of be reiterating a little <laughs> bit here, but yeah, cause I I'm thinking that they should go in the direction of, of hiring somebody who's an assistant GM. That's that at least has been inside that hockey ops uh, room before. And like I mentioned the other, was the last podcast or the one before Martin Madden Jr. Is, is in that category as well. I, I think he's, He's another one. Sorry, who? Martin Madan Jr. Oh, yes. Yeah, you mentioned him before. The guy in Anaheim, right? Yep. Yes. Guy in Anaheim. Yep. We talked about him last last podcast, actually. Yeah. He's another fellow. Oh, go. Sorry, I was just going to say, Norm, just to be clear, I I think your candidates are probably more likely in the mix than than uh, than the ones I mentioned. I'm just saying that if if 
you know, the Canadians are finally going to embrace innovation. I'd like to see them go uh, whole hog on it, but I wouldn't be upset to see Darsh or Madden to be be the uh, the new GM. I think they'd yeah. both be good candidates. And there's a couple more, but sure, uh, I'll let you guys continue. Okay. Yeah, it, it, like in Madden's case, he's definitely, as I mentioned before, I mean, his father's been in hockey ops for a long time, and he was an assistant GM way back in the Rajon Hool era. And Madden's uh, junior's got a very strong scouting background as well. And uh, Anaheim has done much better in that category over the last number of seasons because uh, partly from, I'm sure, his help. And he's also somebody that was that had been uh, pursued by Seattle when uh, uh, when they were trying to determine who who should uh, take on the, the GM reins there. For it to start. Really? I did not know that. That's pretty interesting, actually. I never knew that Seattle was interested. I thought the Seattle job was... Uh was Ron Francis the whole way, like a hundred percent full bore. Yeah. No, no, he was in the running. So cool. And he's got an MBA in finance. Uh, so yeah, he's pretty smart on the business side, pretty smart on the hockey side. Uh, a triple threat, I'd say. So okay. yeah, yeah, those are my two candidates. Uh, so yeah, go ahead. Yep. Um, yeah. So I, you know, I, I really like the Martin Madden one. I I've spoke about my feelings of Matthew Darsh, but I don't know much about him as a, uh, as a as an assistant general manager in Tampa, I know he's working under the god that is Julian Brisebois. So, you know, maybe he's learned some cool tricks on how to hide players in, in the salary cap until the playoffs, and that'd be a great thing to bring in. Um, and the Ducks, obviously, you know, they have an incredible scouting staff that uh, have you know drafted an incredible you know um, full cupboard of prospects for them for the next decade. Um, the two candidates I'll mention, I'll reuse two of the first names that you guys used, and I'll say uh, Patrick Waugh who probably would, uh, as my, my buddy Matt said, uh, quit by the All-Star game the, or, or be suspended by the NHL for too many fights behind the bench with other coaches. Uh, but I think it would sure as hell be entertaining. Um, and uh, the other one I'm going to say is uh, Marty Berger. Um, I was going to maybe say Roberto Luongo, but I really don't think he wants anything to do with the pressure in Montreal. You know, he already dealt with that a little bit in Vancouver in his run there. But I, th- I think Berger really is going to have some real interest in this. Uh, I think that he's working for the blues or the devils right now, but um, yeah, those will be the two candidates. I'm going to say Patrick Waugh just to get crazy for a few months till he quits or Marty Berger because he really wants to cement himself as a GM and he knows Montreal is a pressure cooker that would give him another opportunity if he had any um, type of success in Montreal. Okay. So, uh, so let's do a little counterpoints on, on some of our, uh, everybody else's, uh, choices so you've already taken the words out of my mouth about patrick juan quitting so i won't go there (laughs) (laughs) but burdour is an interesting fellow i mean because he did show some ambition and wanted to get into hockey ops right away after he finished up his career so he he did a little bit of that in st louis so he had to jump organizations to do it so he was there for a little while he's still in st louis is he not no i heard he went back to new jersey he's 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 back there now oh really so so there is that yeah so he's a fellow who i'd say stands a chance of uh being an interesting candidate at least and uh go ahead he would be an interesting candidate one thing in in madden's favor given the strength of the ducks uh amateur scouting is that there might be somebody in their organization who is uh you know excellent and in need of a promotion who could be our new uh you know uh, hockey is still a network so there's 
a good chance that somebody like Madden would want to bring his some of his scouting staff with him. So that could be an advantage if if he were to be the candidate hired. Yeah, that's that's true. Although it's this is it's a tricky situation, right? It's a tightrope walk when it comes to the, some of these types of candidates because although they're experienced, they're currently working in the NHL. So every owner or GM, whoever has the hiring decisions has the option to just not allow another team to to talk to their uh, their people but some will because some people are are more of the mind of i don't want to block you from from moving up but uh in in some cases they they may not so so like, i'm surprised like in, that it always seems oh. so weird to me that there's uh that the, some of these guys in the nhl don't build it into their contracts where if you know obviously if somebody's only offering you a lateral move then maybe that team should be able to block that. But if somebody's offering you a large promotion to go from assistant general manager, you know, any lower position to a higher position, it's crazy to me that they wouldn't build into their contracts these days where, you know, you have a right to quit at any point if you're being offered a promotion. Some people do have those things built in, but most, most employers apparently won't agree to that. And that's um, ah. one of the things about the general manager being hired is if it is a candidate currently working in the league, it might not be until uh, the end of the season that we see somebody moving into uh, the GM chair in Montreal. And that's one of the reasons why I'm happy that, you know, we have somebody in the place that is connected with the league who does have a good scouting background and who has experienced this kind of thing before. Right. Yeah. That's the thing. So that's, that's where, that's where I'm going to even contradict one of my own choices in, in Madden Jr. Where it's it's uh, I think he's still going to be a candidate to eventually take over as the the, the GM in Anaheim. Uh, right now they have an interim GM and he's the fellow who was already the senior VP who's mostly um, in his position. He's mostly handling the financial side of things. So I don't think he's that fellow is necessarily interested in in taking on the GM job full-time in, in Anaheim. At least I can speculate to that. So, so Madden might be one okay. of the fellows who would be considered. And the other AGM they have there, I want to say it's Dave Nonis, but I'm not hundred percent sure now. I, I, it's another fellow who's, who has some GM experience too. So it's, it's really tough that they may, they may get blocked if, if they did approach Anaheim, for example, and, and they may get blocked, but in the other case, in Tampa, they may not. It's it's hard to say. They may get blocked there too. Or they yeah, may you know what you know what else might block both those guys? Um, the, the weather. Um, might, both <laughs> them might be like, yeah, no, I can go make a little bit more money in Montreal, but uh, you know, it also snows two feet a day from November first until April first. Or I could play golf every day in Tampa Bay or Anaheim. Mm, not really a tough choice. Yeah, yeah. there's always especially that. in Florida where you're not paying any tax, so. They're going to have to pay Darsh five times what he's making in, in Tampa Bay for it to be worth it for him at all. Yeah, that's always true, right? I mean, there's always those handicaps when it comes to Montreal. So it, yeah. it's really tough to say. But, you know, one interesting thing I'll, I'll bring up, too, is the fact that we, like all of our initial pairs of choices, may may go out the window because it may be somebody totally different. Like Jeff Molson was saying, uh, re- using the word diversification or diversity, something like that. Uh, a few times in his presser so 
that's why like Paul you're the candidate you mentioned uh the woman from the Toronto front office she yeah. she could be a really good opera uh, a good choice and yeah. it might be somebody else too it's really it's really interesting interesting times for this yeah the, but the, what I really like is that there is the succession plan if if we the, the organization had a proper succession plan in place perhaps Julian Breezeball would still be in the Montreal Canadiens organization and not off in Tampa Bay. Yeah. Right? He left because there was no chance of promotion. So, uh, and obviously the organization didn't do a very good job of talent evaluation in that case either. Or yeah. They would have done something better to keep them. That's where I, I can't help. I can't help but wonder if those decisions were ultimately on Bergeron. And sometimes a person's ego gets in the way of, of making those kind of uh, decisions, right? Like right. If you think see if Breezeball left, Breezeball left when, while Bergevin was there, is that correct? Yes. Okay. Yes. Also, uh, it was Bergevin's choice to bring in, uh, you know, J.J. Daniel as defense coach instead of Larry yeah. Robinson. Yes. I'll well, actually, there's another thing I read this week, actually, is that um, Serge Savard was apparently supposed to stay on and in the position that Jeff Gordon's in now yeah. until Bergevin decided to hire Tarion. And Serge Savard um, vehemently disagreed with hiring the smoking psychopath back. So he quit and would not uh, would not maintain that role after Bergevin was hired. Um, again, that could all just be hearsay as well, but uh, it is a rumor that I heard this week. Well, that, that highlights some of the risk of this structure. If the owner does, doesn't establish the, the power dynamics correctly, then we're going to have problems. Yeah. It won't be innovation. It'll be implosion. Yeah. 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 And Jonathan, I, I, I'm pretty sure I, I recall um, an interview with Savard on TSN 690, where he said something that effect that he said that he was interested okay. in, in, in staying on to help out. And then, and then never heard anything back. So to me, I th- he was kind of implying that it was on Molson to to make the next move and offer him something, but he never did. Yeah. Okay. Well, as as, as late as a couple months ago, uh, Jeff Molson was adamantly saying that he wouldn't hire a, a VP or a president of hockey ops between him and and the general manager. So I'm glad he's finally changed his mind on that case because mm. it's long overdue. Right. Oh yeah, that's great. That's great news. Um, probably the next thing we should bring up, I, I think, anyways, is I, I'm not sure. Did you did you guys pay attention to the the Jeff Merrick show at all? Uh, I catch it from time to time, but not lately. Okay, no, so Elliot Friedman today, Elliot Friedman today on the Jeff Merrick show, or maybe it was last night, said other rumors will be coming out of Montreal the next little while. Aside from who the next GM will be, is which players are getting moved out. A direct quote from Friedman. I do think we could be headed for a big time change of the direction for them. I think you're going to start to hear a lot of things about Montreal. And what obviously I think that means is a lot of players are going to be moving. I think we can say, you know, there's three that are gone for sure because they're UFA next year. Kulak um, being the smallest piece, Lekin in the next piece up and uh, Sherratt gone for sure and probably be able to fetch a first rounder or more for him if they eat some contract because, you know, he's been absolutely wonderful since they signed him in a beast in both of their playoff runs. I, I think the bigger questions come with, 
is Gallagher going to want to be part of, uh, you know, a two or three year rebuild in Montreal or how we retool or whatever that Gordon wants to end up calling it. And Tyler Toffoli, I think those are going to be the two biggest questions of guys that, you know, might not want for their career to spend time in Montreal if they dwindle for a couple of years and they're outside of the playoffs. What are your thoughts on, on those two guys, gentlemen? I heard a quote from, purportedly from Gallagher, but I didn't check down to check out to see if it's legit saying that he, it was some sort of internet chatter that, that Gallagher had said straight out. He had wanted no part of another rebuild. So he wants out. Yes, but I haven't verified that yet. That's what I'm saying. I heard the rumor, but I haven't verified its authenticity. It doesn't sound like a very Gallagher like thing to say, which is why I'm skeptical. But if he did say that, then that would be interesting. Like there are some people who think guys like Jeff Petrie or uh, Gallagher, for example, would be very hard to trade for any kind of value because of their contract. But if you look at Jeff Petrie, any GM in the league would have given him the contract Bergevin gave him at the end of last season. Or Oh, he's or just struggling because they suck right now. I think, I think Petrie's fine. Gallagher's the contract I'd be more worried about because of the wear and tear on his body. I think Petrie, you know, I whether he Petrie's stays or leaves Montreal, he's going to have a great, yeah, me too. I, me I think too. Petrie's still hurt and I think he me should too. be rested instead of trying to kill him to win games. They're not winning because he's not be able to do what he should be doing uh, because he's hurt <laughs> and Gallagher. Well, you know, we've been worried about Gallagher's health for years. So, I mean, it pains me to say it, but it, it wouldn't kill me to see him move on before he goes into decline. Yeah. I love Gallagher. And if he retired to have, I wouldn't be mad, but if they trade him, to a Western Conference team, I wouldn't be upset me at all. Maybe uh, Vancouver. That would be cool. Straight up, why would, why, straight up, why would you straight punish up for him Elias like that? Pedersen. <laughs> <laughs> like well, Vancouver. He's, he's, Elias Pedersen is tied with goals for Ryan Paling. So maybe maybe Ryan Paling and, and Gallagher for uh, Elias Pedersen. Yes, <laughs> I only I only say you know I know what's going home for Gallagher, but what what. Uh, you know, talk about out of the frying pan into the fire. I mean, Vancouver's, I mean, I know they did beat us the other, the other day and something weird happened the other day when Vancouver Montreal were playing. I didn't even realize they were playing. I never looked at it. I never heard about it. And I found out I missed the game and they lost two one and I didn't care. And it's been a long time since that happened. So I'm glad there's been a change in, in management because, you know, if I'm feeling that kind of apathy, I can't imagine what a casual fan is feeling. Okay, guys. Yeah, those are some interesting points. And it's really going to be interesting to see whoever the new or next GM is going to be or whether it's Gordon handling this, whether this team is going to be going through or whether they're going to call it a rebuild, they're going to call it a retool, a reset. Who knows? I don't think they're going to want to use the word rebuild, really, because like as you were mentioning, I'm sorry, I can't remember if it was Paul and Jonathan about uh, Brendan Gallagher's comments or alleged comments. But Actually, I think he's... Oh, go ahead. I just looked it up. It's not from a unnamed Twitter source. It's a quote in the Montreal Gazette. That's the headline. Let me see. I want to hear exactly what he said. He was talking, saying good things about Bergevin, yep. which I don't... Uh, well, that's what always happens. It's like, it's like a funeral. Whenever like somebody dies, even if yeah. they're an asshole, nobody says that. Once they're gone, you always say good things about them. Sure, sure. 
So okay, that's so exactly. they're talking about the in the paper they were talking about um, Molson mentioning that he wasn't afraid of a rebuild, and here's the quote. But at age 29, that's a word Gallagher might be afraid of hearing. This is my tenth season now. Gallagher said when asked about the possibility of a rebuild and whether he'd want to be around for it, quote, "I've always come in with the expectations to win. I felt like my teammates had the same goal. I felt like management had the same goal. And sometimes organizations go through those things. I guess those are conversations that would probably need to be had down the road. But for me, I play this game to win. It's really the only way I can enjoy it." Um, you don't always have to win every game, but it's important. The important thing I need is to feel like we're trying to win. I need to feel like it's important. If that's a decision that they want to make, those are probably conversations that you're going to have going forward, but it's not something I put a lot of thought into. I still feel like this is an organization I love dearly. Um, that's probably not being strong enough with it. I love this city. I love everything about it. It would definitely be a tough decision. And like I said, a conversation you have to have, but I love being here and that's first and foremost. So that, that he's even mentioning the fact that he might want to go if they're going to do a full rebuild is, is pretty surprising, actually, to me, oh, anyway. Yeah. Oh, sure. Yeah, I expect no less. And to be honest, any, any veteran is going to have those thoughts, if not say those words, right? Yeah. Like, like that, let's face it, they're all, they're all in that, that mode at this point. There's a few of them that are on this roster right now that have, uh, a Stanley Cup to the resume, and if they do, I'm sure they really want a chance at another one, not stick around and and languish at the bottom, uh, which is what's implied when you when you say you're going to do a rebuild. That's why I don't think they'll ever use the word rebuild, but they're gonna they're gonna use a, a version of the word, right? I mean, just like Bergevin did. He he said the word reset, retooled. And, so it's, it's his way of saying, I'm not blowing everything up, but I'm going to be making changes. And let's face it, the guy yeah. did make a lot of changes, right? I mean, we, we can't argue against that. And that's what I was going to say oh. in our previous discussion. Uh, I think Vancouver's an even worse position than we are, because if you're a Vancouver Canucks fan, you're just like a Canadians fan was last week. Hopeless. Yeah. <laughs> you, know, you know, because they're, they've had Benning for... <sighs> for a long time, almost nine years, and they've done nothing. At least we got a trip to the finals last year to enjoy. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. So there, there is that. It's just, and that's what, that was another thing that was so discouraging the other day to, to see that the Habs lost to, to, to Vancouver at home. Oh, <laughs> that was a, a game I was hoping they might pull out a W, but no. Pain for Shane, baby. And there's the, yeah, pain for Shane. That's it. But even did you guys see that pic- did you guys see the picture? Yeah, Shane's actually been slumping quite a bit. But you guys see that picture of uh, that Montreal Canadiens fan holding up the Shane Wright Montreal Canadiens fifty one jersey at the Frontenacs game? <laughs> no, no. Share, share that out to us later. <laughs> oh yeah, I'll I'll share it out, and I'll, you can include it in the show links. But it's uh, pretty funny, that's for sure. Awesome. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, heck, he's a hell of a hockey player, but I don't know if he's. He's the next Messiah, right? I mean, he, he could be an, a, a heck of a player. I just, uh, I'd be a lot to put on an 18 year old to play in Montreal and take on the, the number one or number two center role. So, I, uh, of course, we'd we have get, to be blessed to get the draft pick to get it. Anyway. Yes. Well, I was actually, uh, uh, while we were on a little bit of a break there, I was saying to, I was saying to Paul that, you know, Montreal should also probably think about trading Jake Allen and then making Motembo the starter with Primo's the backup and Motembo can ride into the promised land of, of 32nd place. 
Ah, like the Penguins did back in 83. Exactly, yes. <laughs> yeah. Okay, okay. But we still have to, I hope if we actually did win the lottery that we wouldn't see right in a Montreal uniform for at least a year or two after he was drafted. I don't mm. want to see another 18-year-old kid in Montreal unless he's the second coming of Gretzky. Well, you you know, you're absolutely insane. No first overall pick uh, these days is going back to the minors. It's just not happening. I know. But our track record is, what's that word I'm searching for? Abysmal. That is true. Uh, but that was abysmal with Bergeron pulling the trigger on most of those decisions. So that's true. So let's hope that somebody, whether it's Gorton or whomever uh, gets the chair, GM's chair, has has that ability to to see that through yeah well jonathan have you watched uh shane wright play in kingston since he's in your backyard yeah i've seen him play a couple times uh i I would say he's spectacular um it's tough for me to like try to compare him to an nhl player just because i don't think i'm i'm good or adept at uh, doing that but he's definitely very special he makes all of his line mates and teammates better He's not deceptively fast or has a great shot. You know, just a really good player and always seems to seems to score. I know he is struggling a little bit right now, um, but the Frontenacs also have a track record of uh, not doing the best with prospects. So I, w- I wouldn't worry about Shane Wright too much. I, I still think he's going to go first overall to the Coyotes or whoever ends up picking first. But, yeah, I, I think he's going to be a great player. Like, I, I think he'll be better than Lafreniere, for example. Wow. Okay. That okay. would be good. So let's hope we get lottery lucky. Yeah, that's that's goes without saying. Lottery lucky is definitely what we need at this point. No more um, third overall picks, please. No more Galchenyuk's and Code Kaniemis. Yeah, yeah, because after right, uh, from what I could gather from looking at the rest of the, the 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 players, the way they are in right now, anyway, it's there, there's not some obvious. Uh, superstars in the making there there's guys that are probably going to that will play and there's guys that'll be some good players but it's just it's just going to be one of those draft years uh, I heard I heard I've heard different I'm like this is one of the deepest draft years ever they're saying this could be comparable to 2003 am I mistaken in that oh okay well perhaps I I don't know just some of the draft stuff I've been reading recently that's the way it's been going but of course we're also missing a whole year of of pretty much hockey development and yeah man and that's gotta be huge too for sure all those players are yeah you're what a point by you norm because yeah. they're it's 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 easy to forget because we know the nhl carried out last year but the vast majority of kids 16 17 years old did not play you know more than a handful of games that they were lucky last year let yeah. alone getting a full season of development and like they did nothing they sat on their holes yeah. so yeah that, that's that's a great point and you know what, maybe we see, maybe, maybe that, maybe that makes a, a way for, you know, if Shane Wright is drafted first overall and the team really believes he's not ready to go, that maybe he does go back to the minors because they could say, you know, he missed a full year of development, but I still think that's unlikely, but we'll see. Yeah, it'll be interesting. At least I think Gorton will come up with a coherent plan, which was the biggest thing that Bergevin was, was missing. He did a lot of good moves individually but there was never a coherence to the vision that I could see. Yeah. Yeah. He was always reacting instead of being proactive. You're, you're, you're totally right. Uh, okay. So let's, let's move forward a little now and talk a little bit about current Habs uh, players. 
I wanted to talk about uh, Romanov in particular. I'd noticed that he's uh, his play has been improved quite a bit lately since he, he had that healthy scratch back in the November 2nd game against Detroit. But do you guys think that he's he's ready for top uh, top two minutes at this point, or does he still need a little more time in a lesser role? I, I love you asked this question, Norm. And I, it, in my opinion, I, I really believe that Gordon should have the mindset and have a discussion with Ducharme and say, the three guys who we're not trading and we're going to build our franchise around are Romanov, Suzuki, and Caulfield. These guys, especially with where the Canadians are now, with the playoffs looking very unlikely because of how many teams they have to pass, these guys should be getting as many minutes as possible in the most optimal situations as possible. So minimal defensive zone starts, maximum offensive zone starts, get them confidence, let them play with the puck, let them have fun, let them score points. But yes, I think Romanov has been spectacular as of late. He's walking the line with the puck a lot more. He's stepping up in the play more. He's, you know, getting involved in the offensive zone more. I'm a, I'm a huge Romanov fan. I think that uh, he might have made a difference in the cup finals if they wouldn't have played John, John Merrill as much. You know, they might still not have beat Tampa Bay, of course. But uh, Romanov needs to play. I, he, he's, their, he's, he's potentially going to be their number one defenseman, you know, next year or the year after. So, yeah, if you're asking me, Norm, I, I love the kid. Let him play as much as he wants. He's physical. He can skate. He can pass the puck. He can carry the puck. He can shoot. Uh, he's a star, in my opinion. To just expand on your comments a little bit, John, I wouldn't be trading Norlander or actually, uh, given the way he's recently come on, uh, Ryan Paling. And those are also two guys that should be playing all the time. And guys like Cedric Paquette should never be in a Canadian's uniform again this season or ever, as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, you know what? I, I know Norland only played a handful of games, four or five, six games now. But yeah, you're right, uh, Paul. He has he's looked he's looked serviceable. And isn't it isn't it nice to have defensemen who can skate? It's pretty wonderful. It's weird. <laughs> it looks true. It looks so different. But yet, had we had a couple of defensemen who could skate, we might have had a chance in that cup final. Right? At least one. Mm. If we had one other puck moving defenseman besides Petrie, we might have had a shot, like a real shot. Mm. Uh, you know, and uh, it's just frustrating. But speaking of of uh, Gordon having a conversation with Ducharme, what do you think the odds are that Ducharme comes back next season? I don't think they're too I, I hope I hope low. Okay, hmm. but once again, we come up with the conundrum of who are we going to replace him with? Well, what if Montreal goes with the same GM model? They hire an executive director of coaching, and then they hire a head coach who speaks French. Yeah, who knows? If they if it works once, that's maybe as simple they can do as it, it is. Let's do it. Yeah. yeah, I mean the 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 guy that I would wanted to get into Montreal, I was hoping that they would get into Montreal's system is is currently coaching uh, Arizona to the bottom of the league. But I mean, he has no talent to work with whatsoever, so you can't really blame the poor guy for that. Um, who's who is that? Uh, Andre Tourigny. Oh yes, okay. Yeah, he was one of the fellows who headed the Team Canada at the World uh, Junior Championships, wasn't he? That is correct. Yes. Okay. Yes. Okay. Much like Ducharme did, I should point out. Yes. And Fair I enough. was I was happy when Ducharme got got hired, and I was happy when he replaced 
you know, uh, I was going to say Tarion, but of course, Julian, but after so many recycles, who could tell them apart? I mean, <laughs> you know, I just think that, uh, you know, they need, it's, it's, it's like the, the GM, um, cycle that we had you hire a rookie GM and you know he goes on and does better things elsewhere like I think Bergevin will but look at Alan Vigneault he had a great he's had a great career since he he made all his mistakes with with uh Montreal and got fired undeservedly I think actually but uh if there's one French speaking coach who I wouldn't mind seeing the Canadians recycle it would be Vigneault but you know there's a, the usual cast of characters like uh Guy Boucher and and so on I'm not really interested in seeing uh, behind the bench in Montreal so I'm just wondering who they might get oh if we're talking about recycling coaches why not Guy Carboneau yeah so I, I love Guy Carboneau the, just the bench opener just go out there and have fun and score goals boys I love <laughs> that that's the last time that's the last time the Canadians led the league in scoring I like to remind people of that every time Yep. About as, as much as they didn't uh, win the Stanley Cup, man, those Carboneau teams were fun to watch. Just yeah. run and gun and just score goals. It was awesome. That's true. You know, the, that's the really frustrating thing. Like, you, you look at the talent on the team, and yes, the team desperately needs an upgrade on defense. And without Carey Price, obviously, we need, you know, we need somebody stronger than Montembeau backing up Jake Allen if you're really serious about winning. The forwards that are on the team should be able to play a more high up tempo, high octane offensive game. I mean, they have the horses there, and they're just not pulling in the same direction. So I think that might that might be what tells me that you know either Ducharme simplifies his system and gets the players to buy, to buy in, or he's gone. And at this sometimes point, it seems to me like Ducharme doesn't not, even coach a system, so. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. You know what? I'll I'll be the. I, key. Oh yes. Sorry, I got to jump in say there. It wouldn't. It... Oh, sorry. I, I didn't mean to interrupt you, but uh, I, I'm going to jump in and be the contrarian here. I'm just going to point out that you know, if you took away the playoffs, the number of games that Ducharme has had as a head coach in Montreal has been, I believe, less than one full season. Okay, think about really? that for a moment. No, think yeah, to think about okay. it. When when he took over, number of games he finished off the season, and then now the start of this season. Now, I at first I thought he he was there's some things I still I, I don't like about him, but then a lot of head coaches do the same thing, which is rely a little too much on veterans when they're struggling t- too heavily and and not either moving around the veterans in terms of their you know their partners or line mates. Or, uh, or, or reduce their ice time. Like, like he's still stuck on giving David Savard way too much ice time or as one example, but he has made some adjustments like, like the, um, I'm trying to think of what, uh, Oh, the, the Dvorak line, like he had Dvorak and Anderson and uh, Druen that line together since training camp. Cause they, they did really well in the exhibition season and they started off pretty well too. But he kept them together despite the fact that together they were like minus 40-something after like a dozen games. I don't know. I'm exaggerating it's only slightly here. But you can look it up. They were terrible defensively, and it, and it bears out. There was a really good article in the, 
the Montreal Gazette a few weeks ago where they were talking about that and, and how to better handle Christian Dvorak. And, and I, I swear to God, I think Ducharme might actually read the paper or he knows somebody that reads the paper because since not too long since that article came out, he's actually rotated him around the lineup. And so I'll, I'll give him a little credit. I think he's still kind of learning on the job. So I'm going to, I'm going to take the, the other side of you guys and, and say, we got to give him a little more time. This season okay. is, is a write-off anyway. So let him learn as well as let the play the younger players get their experience. And let's get some more line jumbling when things aren't working. You know, it's just, it's not that hard to, to do in terms of hockey coaching. I, I wasn't actually advocating for Ducharme to be fired this season. I just, I'm wondering what the odds are of him returning next season. If I think the odds are low, like depending the, on who the general manager they hire, I really do think the other GM is going to want to install his own head coach, but he might also, it depends on what Gordon's mindset is and, you know, how much of a gun, uh, how much of a gun will be to the new GM's head. If the new GM is going to be given a couple of coaches, then maybe he'll let Ducharme see how he does at the start of next year and then make a decision. But I think it's best to, if they're not 100% confident in Ducharme, to make a change before training camp next year. You want to give a new head coach, if you are going to give a new head coach, training camp to see what he's got and to put something in place rather yep. than having to come in in the middle of a season and try to put something in place. Right. Not optimal to go into the season with a lame duck like we just did with the GM. Yeah, that's true. It's, it's really going to depend on who the new GM is. You know, like, like I say that because if they're going to get somebody who's a little more experienced, like the assistant GM candidates I mentioned before, for example, they are more likely to have somebody in mind to, to take over as head coach and they might want them in sooner than later. But if the Habs decide to go in the more rookie position era, let's say Patrick Waugh, Patrick Waugh may not have somebody in mind right away. He may sit back and say, let's see how this goes for half a season or so. And I'm, I'm talking half a season starting next season. And let's go, and then we'll we'll evaluate and decide where to go next, or just make I it status quo. I think Raw would have somebody in mind immediately, <laughs> and they'd be looking at him in the mirror. Yeah, there. Yeah, that's right. There's that move too. He could step behind the bench and be take on both roles. Uh, and with his ego, he, I'm sure he can handle it. Uh, <laughs> so it's going to be. It could. It it really depends on who who the man or woman is as the new uh, the next gm i should say yeah fair okay uh so i'm gonna move us forward here and to touch a little bit on a topic of ben Sherrod, but also tie it back to what we started to talk a little bit about free upcoming free agents with the, at the abs with ben Sherrod getting going and, and scoring some goals uh lately and but with with jeff petrie and a goal slump <laughs> he's been able to help out a lot in that category and that's boosted his stock. So is, is Sherrod a, a fellow that they should uh, let go or trade him off as an upcoming UFA or try to resign him? No, this is a hundred percent. No, hundred percent trade. This is Sheldon Surrey type situation. It's a guaranteed first round pick for Ben Sherrod. There will be playoff teams that, that are licking their chops to get their hands on him. You only need two teams to create a bidding war, and I think they could have four or five or six teams interested in Ben Sherrod. He's been a playoff beast. 
He dominates physically. He knows how to play the game. He's not just a cross-check machine. He can skate decently. He's proven this year as well. He can score a few goals, popping offensively. P- uh, people watch Hockey Night in Canada. Kevin VX drools all over this guy. Um, <laughs> if they can eat some salary as well, they're going to turn that into even more than a first-round pick. You absolutely have to trade Ben Sherrod. Now, should they put a contract in the drawer and say, if you want to come back to Montreal and you love here, Ben, we want you, we want you to come back, come back with a Stanley Cup ring and we'd love it. But, um, but yeah, you got to you gotta trade him. You have to trade him. Exactly. That's what I was saying. Trade him. Like, if they got the right offer, they could, they could have traded him yesterday as far as I'm concerned. But then it wouldn't hurt if he wants to come back to make an offer to resign him because he is an excellent defender. Uh, and, you know, I'm hoping that uh, – I know I'm impatient, but I look at the I, – I still look at the, the forward – uh, the forward skill on this team. And I think with a couple of puck moving defensemen with Romanoff and, and Norlinder and me, maybe, and with Edmonston coming back to health and maybe Sherratt re-signing after he gets traded for a shitload of players and prospects or a pick, a first round pick and a prospect that the team could actually be good sooner rather than later. Maybe I'm just being overly optimistic again, but you know, there's no way this team should be struggling to score the way it is. There's no way this team should struggle to defend the way it is. So I'm thinking that um, once the Malaya's lifts next season, they'll be better. And, but definitely trade Sherratt, trade Lekkanen, trade, you know, Armia, any of the bit parts that you can trade to get uh, prospects and picks, go for it. Okay. Norm, what do you think? Okay, I'm going to throw another name out, and that is Chris Weidman, because actually he's he's uh, only signed a one-year contract, so he'll be another UFA. And actually, he's he's off to stat-wise, his numbers are are pretty good. He may attract some interest as a as a player to to be moved. But on the other hand, I can also see keeping him too, because I I don't think he's played that badly for for the Habs. For if you set your expectations to the type of player he is, he's. Um, because he is undersized, you know, he doesn't defend as well, but he's, but he does have the offensive chops. So he's a fellow that may be interesting to, to move. Definitely. Uh, Definitely now, move. Now you mentioned Lekin and both of you guys have mentioned Lekin, but he's actually an RFA. I just looked him up. He's not a UFA. I'd still trade him. Really? And see, I would have, and Paul, your comment about Armia, he's, he signed a four-year contract. I doubt heavily he's going to be moved. <laughs> Oh yeah, nobody's nobody's taking him. I wish, nobody's. but that—that's why I'd like them to trade him. If yeah, they could. I wish. No, that would take Gordon would need a miracle for that. Well, uh, you know, all it would take though is for me, for me, it got hot right before right before the deadline and had a couple of his classic two goal games. Then I think it would be possible. Uh, maybe that and a wish and a prayer. <laughs> Hey, you okay. know, there's, there's still talk the Sharks are going to be able to offload Evander Kane. And if they can do that, anybody can get traded. Wow, really? I thought he was going to go to the AHL, to be honest. Uh, he, he is. What the speculation is that he's going to be traded with a sweetener to a team uh, at, uh, 50, at, at 50% retention. And team two will then trade him to another team at 50% retention. Oh, okay. At, if we're going to start doing some around the league stuff, just uh, uh, I know it's very, uh, very oh. timely, but uh, Philip Forsberg, four goals tonight. Haven't seen that in a while. And uh, Panthers, wild comeback down 4 1 in the third period, came back and beat the Capitals 5 4. 
Oh, thanks. Paul, are you uh, back? Hear me? Yes. Yes. Problem with my headphones this time. My technology is not, uh, not working. I was just saying that though, if, if Kane can get double traded through two teams to, to, to wash his salary and somebody's still willing to take a flyer on him after the way he's acted in Winnipeg and then in San Jose, you know, anybody can get traded. Yeah. Uh, oh, yeah. If somebody, awesome. I agree. If somebody takes Kane, anybody's tradable. That's for sure. Because who would want that nightmare on their team? Yep. I don't know. Yeah. Um, okay. Before we dive a little deeper into the around the league, I wanted to just quickly touch on some of the, the call-ups that we've uh, been able to see now with Michael Pozzetta and Ryan Paling being called up. And, and maybe even uh, Cole Caulfield, his situation with being sent down and brought back up again. So what do you think about these uh, youngsters lately? You go ahead, Paul. Pizzetta, uh, you know, I like his grit and his jam, but he just doesn't have enough talent to be hang at the NHL level, I don't think. And as far as Caulfield, I was kind of hoping they'd leave him down in uh, Laval having fun scoring goals on a, on a good team instead of coming back to the tire fire that is Montreal. Um, how about Paling? Paling has impressed me. He's playing his ass off and he's playing like he doesn't want to go back to Laval ever. And I don't think he will if he keeps playing like that. Yeah. Okay, fair enough. Uh, it, yeah, in Pizzetta's case, you, you're totally right. He definitely has some jam to his game. Uh, I think he started off stronger and tailed off a little bit. Now, it may be partly because I think his ice time's also gone down somewhat. Uh, in Paling's case, yeah, he's definitely done much better this this time around. He shows he wants to stay. And in his case, I'm just not sure yet if he's actually a, a center or a winger. I mean, on this team, he'd be, they need him as a center. But, I mean, the style of play, from what I'm seeing of him now, I think he's playing more like a winger. So... In either case, though, I mean, at least he's contributing something on a fourth line uh, that uh, to give him a little bit of offense here or there. And really, that's and if he can hold his own defensively, I'm I'm happy with that. Yeah, yeah. And then with uh, say, CC, oh, go ahead. No, you go ahead. Finish up. Oh, just with CC there, Caulfield. Yeah, it's just it's been such a disappointing season you know he's getting chances like he's getting shots on goal you can see he's got creativity he's it's just so many times things aren't going in and and then he finally gets that first goal and it almost wasn't a goal I mean uh just it's such a rough start for the kid I feel bad for him but I don't know if it like we were saying earlier I think it might be one of those like, like Jonathan I think you were saying earlier I agree if this this season's in the dumpster anyway. Let's just give him ice time. Why not? You know, and, and move him up and down the lineup, give him exposure in different things, different players. Like it's all learning. It's all development at this point anyway. So who cares? Okay, so here's my thoughts on him. Pizzetta to me is your modern day Ryan White. The kid can skate. And apparently the when he went through waivers, the Flyers thought about putting a claim on him, but they ended up claiming some other guy very similar to Pizzetta. You keep Pizzetta in Montreal. I like the way he plays. The guy fought Ryan Reeves. The guy wants to play in the NHL. The guy needs to play in the NHL. And in my opinion, he's a perfect fourth liner. Because you know what? He's going to chip in a few goals here and there when he gets uh, when he gets a little bit more playing time in the NHL. You know, he's, he's managed to score at every level he's played in. 
I'm not saying he's going to turn into a score or anything like that, but the kid can play. Cole Caulfield, you, Paul, you said having fun playing in the minors on a winning team. No, you don't have fun on buses and on playing games on Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. You have fun playing in the NHL, you know, playing on a playing on an NHL team, staying at five star hotels, getting nice per diems, making a bigger salary. That's what he wants to be doing. And Ryan Paling, you're right, doesn't look like he wants to go back to the AHL. Hope he never does. Um, really like the way he's playing. Got a nose for the net, driving the net, skating hard. Uh, love all three kids. This this should be a kid's team. The old guys, sorry, they should be the ones up in the press box or, you know, getting waved to the minors. Let the young kids play. Yeah. Okay, fair enough. No, Cedric Paquette, we hardly knew you. Yeah. <laughs> fair enough there, too. He might have been good if they were going back to the cup finals this year, but that certainly ain't happening, so. <laughs> yeah. Okay, guys, that's all about all I had for Habs topics. Um, anything else from around the NHL you wanted to discuss? Well, I'm just wondering if you guys have been following any of the, any of the commentary out of Vancouver and how, how irritated everybody is that nothing is changing there when they're, like, I think the, the win over Montreal was their first win in, like, nine games. And they, they I mean, they made trades that, supposedly we're going to help them contend, but I, uh, you know, they picked up uh, Ekman Larson. I mean, uh, you know, I think that ship had sailed long before uh, um, Arizona managed to offload him, but uh, you know, uh, what do you guys think? Do you think Vancouver's going to finally clean house too, now that Montreal's done it, or are they just going to keep Hoping. I don't know. It's a, it's a weird situation in Vancouver. Like, are they going to, if they fire Travis Green, I would imagine he gets rehired, you know, in less than, in less than a month, another team would fire their coach and hire Travis Green. Cause I think he's great. And, uh, and yeah, the GM situation there, he seems close with the owner. I, like, I, I don't know. I, I really don't know. You figure if they were going to make a change, they're going to make one by now. I think they're going to leave it on the players and uh, make some more moves at the deadline and, maybe sell and try again next year. I, I honestly don't know. You know, I know the, the analytics people were all against the Canucks at the start of the year. And a lot of the analysts were say, saying the Canucks were going to potentially win the division, but you know, they're in a different situation than the Canadians. They're only four or five, four or five points out of a playoff spot. So uh, I think it's a different situation there than in Montreal. Yeah, possibly. But I think, uh, you know, it's not the first time that, that uh, people have been calling for Benning's head. Not so much green, but, but Benning is definitely on a lot of fans and, and media's hit list right now. But if he's got the confidence of the owner, I guess that doesn't matter. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's well said. I don't uh, I don't see them making a change that way. It's yeah, I think it's more likely they'll they'll write it out and see what happens, and maybe make some changes in the off season. I don't I don't think they're going to pull the trigger during the season. This. What what about Ovechkin being second in scoring in the NHL behind Connor McDavid uh, at thirty six years old, both in both in goals to Connor McDavid and, in, and sorry in goal in goals to Drysital and points to Connor McDavid. How incredible is that? Yeah, that's amazing. <laughs> Brings me back to your comical wish that he's going to sign with Montreal. Oh, imagine, <laughs> imagine that. Imagine how good the Habs would be if they had, you know, 20 more, 20 more goals this year. Oh, my gosh. That would probably double their total, would it? <laughs> <laughs> pretty, cl- pretty close. Yeah. yeah, I think the team has the worst or one of the worst goal differentials. So, yeah. 
Yeah, he's amazing. I, I so enjoy watching highlights of him score or even set somebody up. You know, it, it was funny that game against that recent game uh, with against Washington. It was so interesting to see how he was trying his hardest not to be the the shooter in so many uh, of the goals. Like he was the setup guy. Yeah, he's the best. I love him so much. Mm. Yeah, he's breaking that record for sure. I really hope so. Yeah, like I, I hope he scores sixty goals this year. So bad. Yeah, it'd be awesome if uh, Wayne Gretzky was uh, able to be the hockey analyst on on that game of the week for uh, what, is, what network is it again? The East uh, TNT. That's it. Yeah. 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 Yeah, and it seems like Gretzky's all on board with him passing it and stuff. So, you know, good on Wayne for for being okay with that because records are are made to fall and. Um, and I think I think Wayne does know that that Alex is the greatest goal scorer in NHL history. There is no there is nobody better than him at scoring goals. Yeah, yeah, agreed. Uh, let's see, anything else interesting around the NHL? Um, what did you think about uh, Matt Murray going on waivers as well as Evander Kane this week? Oh yeah, the Matt. Okay, good question on the Matt Murray thing. Um, apparently, he, Pierre Dorian still hasn't even spoken to him about being sent down. So we never even had any type of conversation with the general manager, uh, but apparently he's in good spirits down in Belleville. But yeah, that organization, as always, the Ottawa senators is in shambles. Yeah. I, I couldn't believe they gave him that contract to be honest, but I mean, yeah. it was, if he came back, it was a great bargain, um, which, but you know, the portents were not good because he's been on a steady decline. It's kind of yeah, like, I said, Jose I know we joked. I know we joked earlier about the, the the Coyotes being last place overall, but they they got a few more points on the uh, on the Senators, albeit the Senators have missed uh, a few games due to a COVID outbreak. So, yeah, but the, the the Coyotes are bad on purpose, unlike Montreal and Ottawa. Yeah, <laughs> and Vancouver. All three of those teams were trying. Yeah, this true. And then speaking yeah. of bad teams, the Islanders too. Yuck. Yeah. Yep. Really. That's a surprise. Well, yeah. not really. It's two of the four semifinalists, Montreal and, and Montreal and the Islanders, and um, you know the uh, the Golden Knights uh, were struggling mightily to begin the season too. Although, yeah, it's really interesting to see what happens in Vegas if and when Eichel comes back. Oh, I do think they'll turn it on big time. And Patch Reddy actually weighed in on Bergevin uh, this afternoon in Vegas and talked about everyone in Montreal having a shelf life. And he's glad he got out of there when he, when he did. And, you know, his, his dad's still not proud of him, as I've mentioned before, but at least he got out of Montreal when he did. Really? He said that? Uh, he's, yeah, he said everyone in Montreal has a, has a shelf life. And, you know, he's, he's proud of what he accomplished, but uh, glad he got out of there when he did. Wow. Okay. That's interesting. Not exactly a ringing endorsement for future free agents, is it? Yeah, but you know <laughs> what, Pat? But you know, if I if I read that and I played with or against Patch Reading in NHL, I'd be like, okay, wow, this is the thoughts of a loser. So, I guess maybe it's a great place to play, and I'd love to play there. I certainly wouldn't want to be a loser like Patch Reddy. So. <laughs> All right. Well, on that note, guys, I think we should wrap it up. Thank you very much, gentlemen, for for uh, joining me on this podcast tonight. Pleasure is wonderful. Thank you. Uh, 
thinking or looking at uh, talking about Canadians since the last time we had a podcast. Yep. Okay, guys. Well, have a good evening. Yeah, good night, Charles. Good night.